I must say, Florida Power and Light, where's Eric? Right here. Eric. There are more electrical people in this state, I think, than ever accumulated anywhere in the world, is what I read before. Miami-Dade state attorney says disgraced lawmaker Frank Artilla's masterminded a plot to help a Republican win a key Florida state Senate seat. Part of a pattern CNN previously reported last year. Three races with ghost candidates supported by political action committees that all registered at the same time and had similar donations and similar spending on nearly identical mailers. There was also hundreds of thousands of dollars of dark money. We still don't know where it came from. You're back once again for another episode of Why Are We Like This, the true crime podcast that treats Florida like the active crime scene that it is. I'm David Quinones, and I'm joined by my co-hosts again, Tomas Kennedy. Tomas, what's up, man? You know, it's just hanging in, in here. We we were spared the, the worst of Hurricane Ian in South Florida, but uh, the rest of the state fared pretty bad. So, you know. Yeah, not 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 great. And uh, we're going to get into it. On the other line, we've got uh, my other co-host, Gerald Doherty. Jerry, how are you? I'm doing okay. Um, what is it? We're remarking uh, on that we're getting the very last remnants of Ian up here. Um, so it's been a rainy three days, but not nearly anything like, you know, the destruction and, and devastation that you guys are seeing down there. So everyone is weird. Everyone up here is very grateful to have it because we were going through a drought um for a while so i mean at least we'll have drinking water for the foreseeable future great gerald way to make it all about you wonderful thank you i'm just saying (laughs) you asked me how i am and i told you and now you're mad at me for giving you an answer so our guest this week (laughs) is Alyssa jean schaefer a policy strategy and communications consultant who does research and communications work for the energy and policy institute you can find her on twitter at Alyssa jean or online at alyssajeanschaefer.com uh, Alyssa, welcome to Why Are We Like This? Thank you so much. Good to be here with y'all. So before we get to this episode's case file, a bit of housekeeping. This marks our sixth episode. and We've got a lot more planned. Um, we've all been sort of laying out a calendar of episodes that we're going to be um, uh, releasing through the end of the year. So be sure to subscribe, rate, review. I don't know if you know how podcasts work, but uh, as a new independent non-corporate, uh, not not money-backed podcast. We need your reviews to go up in the rankings, which will help more people find us, which means more subscribers and more ratings and more reviews and on and on. In business school, we call this a virtuous cycle. Um, so hit that follow button, please. And also, if you can, if you want to, find us on Twitter, Instagram, uh, and on TikTok, at Walt Show, W-A-W-L-T Show. Uh, so on to this week's topic. The news this week in Florida is still, as we've alluded to, leading with the aftermath of Hurricane Ian, and we're starting to get a clearer picture of the scope of the damage that was wrought by the storm. Fort Myers, Port Charlotte, wide swath of the Gulf Coast between Naples and Tampa sustained enormous, unprecedented damage. The storm surges in some places were as high as 10 feet. In Lee County, the officials are just now finishing repairs on the um, the county's water main, restoring clean water to the 750,000 plus residents there. And now we already had a case file scheduled to discuss this uh, this week prior to Ian. And as luck would have it, that topic dovetails quite conveniently with a larger hurricane storyline or, or inconveniently, depending on whether you're one of the hundreds of thousands of Floridians who are still without power right now. Uh, of those, about 225,000 are customers of Florida Power and Light, the state's leading energy provider and the subject of no shortage of controversy and scrutiny in recent years. Up until recently, FPL had been one of those like 
mundane, mostly benign parts of the landscape of life in Florida. It's just a bill that is probably set for auto pay from your checking account, something that you rarely think about other than occasionally wondering why it seems to be getting incrementally more and more expensive every so often. Uh, not unlike our episode one case file where we uh, explored homeowners insurance and what a racket that industry has become. A lot has been happening behind the scenes in Florida's energy markets for a long time. And only now are many people beginning to sit up and take notice and to think it all started with one third year Democratic senator from right here in our own backyard in Miami. Um, now, I, Alyssa, I want to kind of start with you and, and, and bring up this topic of power purchase agreements. I don't know if that's maybe a good place to start with this, but I, I and Tomas, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too, because in 2019, our my state senator, um, Jose Javier Rodriguez, was working hard to push forward these power purchase agreements. And that was seems like it was almost the uh, impetus for a lot of the story that we want to talk about today. W- what are power purchase agreements and like what why why do they matter? Uh, as at the sort of genesis of this, what ends up being kind of a scandal. So I'm happy to take that. I'm not sure if that was directed to me. (laughs) Um, That's certainly one place that we could start. In my opinion, all of this starts years prior, uh, but just to kind of level set. So here in Florida, it's a monopoly utility market. That means that whoever your power provider is, for many people, that's Florida Power and Light, FPL, that's who you're stuck with. You don't have any choice other than that, a power purchase agreement would allow you to purchase power from somebody else or a different entity. And in this context specifically, it would allow you to purchase solar power. So this actually, we saw this come up with the original like Floridians for Solar Choice ballot amendment back in 2016 that FPL also mobilized millions of dollars behind. And it's a similar concept that we saw from Senator Jose Javier Rodriguez, whereas let's say, for example, you know, in Florida, we have a high percentage of folks who rent, including myself until very recently. So as a renter, you don't have an option. Let's say you want to have solar power. Um, But if, for example, you were in, let's say, a duplex and the landlord wanted to put solar on his units in that duplex and then sell it to you, well, that seems like a great solution. Well, that's actually illegal because right now Florida statute would declare that landlord to be a utility and the only person who is allowed to be a utility are the ones that are currently sanctioned in the state of Florida. So you got FPL, Tico, Duke. So introducing the the market or the business possibility of PPAs, power purchase agreements, would be a direct attack on the bottom line for those utilities. So anytime this prospect has come up as a potential policy, whether it's on a ballot initiative or being introduced by somebody like JJR, uh, all the alarms seem to go off in every executive office for Nextera and their their company here, Florida Power and Light. Um, again, because it gets at their bottom line. And that year and year again, we see their bottom line is their number one priority. And it seems that they will cross just about any, <laughs> and we can, you know, whether it's illegal, unethical, whatever, there are a lot of lines that they are apparently willing to cross in order just to protect that bottom line and their profits. So I, I don't, I don't want to, you know, start by getting like cutesy and being a smart ass, but what you describe seems to me like big government, you know, intervention to, to prevent Floridians from accessing as many you know, energy choices as possible. And it just, you know, seems odd to me that, you know, in the so-called free state of Florida, you have 
such a regulated market onto what can be a utility uh, that prevents us as individuals from, you know, ma again, maximizing our choices in terms of where we want to derive our power from and, you know, like our, you know, and, and, and our afford options in terms of affordability. I don't know. Is, is that like a fair assessment? Yeah, uh, the the concept of having freedom to generate your own power, sell your own power, purchase your own power on a small scale. We're not talking like, you know, the what you see in fields that FPL is building. Uh, but the option to do that is very popular across political lines. This is not a partisan issue. This is a monopoly wanting to make the most money possible issue. And right now, that monopoly is completely protected. Uh, you know, there's there's pros and cons, like all of our systems of government and regulation, checks and balances. Uh, there's pros and cons to all these different methods. But in Florida, the way it's supposed to work, since we do have this monopoly, is they're supposed to be kept in check by the Public Service Commission, Office of Public Counsel, legislature, and even the governor's office. He has veto power, obviously. Uh, but what we've seen by and large over the last several years is all of those bodies that are supposed to keep companies like FPL in check are completely captured. So, yeah, at the end of the day, you have this big government protected multi-billion dollar corporation just churning out as much profit as possible. And, and you know, I, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but have you have you guys worked? Because, you know, this seems like a like a free market solution, honestly, to like the issue of energy consumption and er energy freedom in Florida. But have you all, have you guys worked with like libertarian groups, the Cato Institute, like small government minded conservatives uh, to basically course correct these? Again, you know, it sounds cutesy, but big government conservatives in Tallahassee. Yeah. So for me personally, with the, the 2016 ballot initiative, for example, I was not with working with EPI at that time. I was with a different organization and the coalition behind uh, the, the Solar Choice Initiative was extremely bipartisan. Uh, we had folks, we had Republicans, we had Libertarians. It was kind of everybody across the across the board all agreed on this one issue, uh, maybe nothing else politically, but they agreed on this. Um, and, you know, moving forward, like there's all types of coalitions that are on the same page just with solar rights in general. I think we even saw that in the most recent legislative session uh, with FPL's anti-solar, their anti-rooftop solar bill. Uh, the solar industry is, you have to think of it as an extension of the electrical industry, the construction industry, the roofing industry. A lot of those small business owners are Republicans. Their families are Republicans, their, their employees are Republicans, and they see this as a business issue at the end of the day. So short answer to your question is, yes, there are people working on all angles, uh, all political persuasions, because this is one thing that a lot of people agree with, that that is that folks should have more freedom in their electric bill and where that electricity comes from. Tomas, that's a really good point because this is one of those sort of revolving door issues, right, Alyssa, where you see a lot of people sort of coming and going. You see a lot of folks who um, it, it doesn't break neatly on like a left or right partisan line. This reminds me a lot of a lot of people in Washington, D.C. in their post their post D.C. career when they go into the private sector. What that plus what else is it that makes FPL and their parent Next Era, such a sort of like consolidated force. And from here, I'm going to try to jump us into the nut of this scandal and talk a little bit about what happened with uh, Jose Javier Rodriguez's um, 
political career in 2019. But can you explain, like, what differentiates? Why does FPL have this stranglehold? Like, what is so unique about them? So part of it just comes down to geography and numbers. Um, It's fairly black and white. If you look at service territory maps, uh, Florida Power and Light, they control over 6 million customer accounts. Um, And that's that's an important distinction, customer accounts versus people. So... Right now, in the aftermath of EN, all the numbers being reported, those are customer account numbers, not people. So when we're talking right. about you know 200,000 people still waiting for power, um, it's actually 200,000 customer accounts. So that actual number, if you think about a home that has a family of like five people, uh, multiply that by 200,000, and that gives you a better idea of the level of impact we're talking about. So taking it back to how, how did Florida become, or how did FPL become this like 800 pound gorilla in the room? They have over the last decade or so, uh, just by acquiring smaller companies, they recently merged with Gulf Power. So now they have the panhandle is in their portfolio as well. They have just grown and they control a lot of the major metropolitan areas. So now uh, for the whole state of Florida, they are providing power to over 12 million people. And that is a huge chunk of folks <laughs> that make up Florida. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, you know, to, to FPL's credit, they, you know, at, at the end of the day, they are a business and they are laser focused on being a profitable, profitable business. So they have made really smart decisions in terms of investing in strategies to have some of the smartest teams, the biggest teams, millions of dollars in lobbying, millions of dollars in their own staff who lobby all the way down to the city commission level, just investing in these political relationships. Yeah, I think in the political landscape, we hear, we talk about, you know, quote unquote, building the bench. Well, FPL builds the bench and they have been building that bench for years. They're very strategic. And again, it all comes down to how how they can maintain power over the regulatory system. Uh, Something interesting, you know, in all of the thinking about who controls power, whether it's a legislature or whatever, uh, that the Republicans, obviously, they've had a supermajority for, I think, it's since 2011. Um, in recent years, the, the Senate majority has literally been four seats. And so that was like our closest chance. Now, if you look at yeah. the, all the elections that FPL and FPL consultants have been connected to in this broader scandal story, it's four seats. So you have a four seat majority. You have four seats that FPL and FPL consultants chose to pay very close attention to, spend millions of dollars on through this web of nonprofits, and you have four years of power. And in that four years, we've seen public service commission appointments. We've seen legislation that replaced the Office of Public Counsel. We've seen multi-billion dollar rate increases. So all of these different pieces kind of come together and paint a picture of what appears to be just a very large, very strategic monopoly utility doing everything, everything they can to protect their bottom line. Yeah, and you mentioned all of those um, various investments that they make, and one of those investments is um, in not just media relations, but in media itself, in actually, you know, uh, uh, leveraging their power of the purse to like concoct media coverage. And for that, I want to um, just read a little bit from, it's so funny to read this because this comes, we're going to borrow for this episode uh, from some of the great reporting by the Orlando Sentinel, Miami Herald uh, in recent months, um, who broke this, who first, who were among the first to 
to break this story. But there's a little bit of show lore here for why are we like this heads? Because coming out of this this scandal is the conversation that Tomas and I first had to um, actually start this show up and actually start start making this show. This was in the wake of um, of this great reporting that that uh, that was done. Um, so from that, I'm going to read a, a short piece from the Orlando Sentinel. The lead is, uh, the headline is, if you want to look for it, it's Dark Power, How FPL other, uh, slash other Utilities Neutralize Opponents and Grow Profit. And the lead is, the CEO of the biggest power company in the U.S. had a problem. A Democratic state senator was proposing a law that could cut into FPL's profits. Landlords would be able to sell cheap rooftop solar power directly to their tenants, bypassing FPL and their monopoly on electricity. Quote, I want you to make his life a living hell. Seriously. This was written by FPL CEO Eric Silogy in a 2019 email to two of his vice presidents about who have we been talking about? Senator, state Senator Jose Javier Rodriguez, who had proposed that legislation. Now, if that was just idle talk between a very powerful CEO and some people in his in his C-suite, that would be one thing. It would be worrying, but it would be it, it would be uh, I don't know, maybe manageable, forgivable private correspondence between people but it, it it became more than that didn't it uh, full disclosure because we do try to uh abide for the the, the barest of journalistic in, in integrity and why are we like this but I, I was a former employee of jose javier rodriguez uh and i can attest that that guy really tried to do the right thing uh at every step of the way and you know he really was a thorn on the side uh of fpl uh at, at the interest of us, the, you know, Floridians and consumers. Uh, and, it, it, you know, and that's exactly why Eric Silagi and FPL executives wanted, wanted him out. And that email that you're referring to that was, you know, uh, leaked by the, you know, investigations from, you know, from the Orlando Sentinel, Miami Herald, was addressed to a consultants from a consultancy firm called Matrix LLC, that was basically um, hired by F FPL to, you know, quite frankly, and to put it bluntly, to engage in all sorts of election fraud schemes to advance the the interest of Florida Power and Light uh, in the state, uh, you know, uh, at the expense of us, you know, working class people and Floridians. You know, the the ghost candidate schemes that you know that, that we've referred to and that we'll talk more about. That was them. They even before that, they worked with a Democratic Party consultant named Dan Newman to propose a plan to primary uh, uh, JJR uh, from the, the center and to take him out in his district in a Democratic primary because they know that's a blue Democratic leaning uh, seat and it would be it would have been difficult to get a Republican in there, which is what they ultimately did. And as Elisa referenced, this is all in service of putting their approving their cronies in the Public Service Commission because the governor appoints and the Senate confirms. And Alyssa, you know, one thing that and correct me if I'm wrong, but one thing that it's worth pointing out for, to the public is these election schemes from FPL and associated, you know, entities are always focused on the Florida Senate. They're never focused on the Florida House, right? And again, because I think it all revolves around defanging the Public Service Commission and making it a rubber stamp entity. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, first of all, I think it's focused on the Senate in recent years because that's the closest that Democrats have 
come at <laughs> at even having a chance at breaking the trifecta that they that Republicans have had for such a long time. Uh, but then the other element of that is, of course, the Public Service Commission. And Senator Jose Javier Rodriguez, you know, he is one of the only like I, I'm the type of person I watch public hearings at, at the Public Service Commission, <laughs> try and sift through the dockets. Uh, so I know for a fact, uh, Representative Escamani is him, uh, uh, JJR and Escamani, those two are the only uh, elected officials in recent years that I have seen actually testify at a public service hearing um, on behalf of their constituents, because the Public Service Commission is talking about things like uh, do we want to give FPL permission to raise rates by billions of dollars? And the answer is usually right. yes. Um, usually yes, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Jose Javier Rodriguez, uh, along with Representative Ana Escamani, you know, they, they're in all of the people in legislature. They're the only two in recent history that I've seen show up at the PSC for these really important discussions. So JJR certainly, as soon as he started speaking up, seemed to have a target on his back, unfortunately. Um, and for 20 years, uh, you know, we, we've ha we've mentioned this on a few different episodes, Tomas, but maybe we should clarify for folks who maybe haven't been here for so long or maybe are, are out of state listeners. When we say that there's a trifecta of Republican control in the state of Florida, like there's there's a lot baked into that statement. OK, not only has the, the state been run, you know, by a, a Republican executive since the year 2000, um, but. Both of the legislatures in this 50-50 narrow, every single year, narrow uh, election state, this, you know, up until recently, prototypically purple state. It, when you look at it, it's really like a like a 70-30 breakdown. Like it's it's a it's a pretty strong supermajority in both chambers of uh, in, in, in both in both houses in the upper and lower house. Like the, it's 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 very rare to Alyssa's point earlier that we that Democrats are within a striking distance of maybe a handful of seats for e for control of either of the chambers. Um, so it's it, it's it's very undemocratic at its core the reason the, the way that a 50 50 state can end up being 70 30 75 25 like that but I, I think it's important for people to understand like when we say a trifecta it, it's really strong firm hands it's firmly in in, in the hands of, of one party and it has been for quite some time um yeah sorry i just wanted to like kind of give that context really quickly because i think people forget like yeah oh florida 50 50 i bet that they probably have had you know some democrats in charge no man no they haven't <laughs> not really what we're getting into as we talk about matrix and we get into uh by the way also in, in keeping with um tomas's uh call for transparency i should mention that uh why are we like this did get a three hundred thousand dollar grant from the capitalist um so just so everybody knows that we're, <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> I saw Alyssa's face for a second. Go, wait, what? what? I, I I do want to I do want to bring up though. Yeah, Alyssa, this is going to be this heavily idea. edited against you. Sorry. <laughs> That's why I asked. But no, I do want to bring up because Alyssa, I know you work in communications, as do I, and the idea of like the audacity of what was done in this communication strategy. Because I find it fascinating that you've got a company, Next Era, and then FPL um, as a, as a subsidiary that are unlimited in funds. Like they could do anything. They have the the the, the kind of the kind of profits they 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 get probably rival a lot of countries, right, in terms of GDP, and they could do anything. And rather than working to innovate, 
or improve operations or try to, you know, address hard lines or hardening their system or hardening their grid or doing any of these other types of things that they probably have to do in the course of their work. The main thing they went with was a communications response. And that communications response involved basically co-opting what um, I think to a lot of casual observers is a, uh, had been just a, a, a very like run of the mill political blog, political media um, you know, operation. So maybe you can start by explaining to us what the capitalist is and why it's important in this story. Yeah. And why, why I made such a ridiculous face when you dropped that name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will say, cause you mentioned, uh, you know, they could be meant spending their money on, uh, storm hardening, uh, relevant to what is happening right now and what CEO Eric Salaji has been talking to the press multiple times a day, uh, they do have storm hardening going on uh, and customers are paying for it. Actually, the Florida legislature approved charging even more to customers so that they can do that. So uh, they're, they're very protective of their profits. And whenever they are doing something, uh, they like to do what is called uh, cost recovery on that investment, which translates into Floridians paying more. Uh, but anyways, just a little tidbit on that. Um, so the capitalist is what is considered kind of like a politico, like for politicos type of news, quote unquote, news website. Um, and at first glance, it feels very niche, like obviously, yeah, quotation marks, big ones. Um, it feels like, okay, this is probably a very targeted audience. But once you start looking at uh, their social media, for example, on Facebook, you can see that they're spending thousands of dollars on advertising and they're targeting people all over the state. So this is not just some political newsletter that gets sent to 250 people. You know, this is a social media platform that thousands of dollars gets put behind to blast out what ends up being blatantly misleading articles. Uh, and, you know, I think you know, in the communications world, we're used to opinion pieces, we're used to letters to the editor, advertorials, all of those things are clearly labeled as such. Like if you read a letter to the editor, you know that that's somebody's opinion. If you read an op-ed, it says who wrote it, where they work, like there's a little bit of disclosure there, like this is an opinion. If it's an advertisement, it's, you know, they get a little tricky sometimes, but it's usually pretty clearly labeled as an advertorial or something like that. Um, none of those disclosures exist on the capitalist. Like these on that website, these are all kind of posing as real news stories. So what we saw in some of that amazing investigative reporting that you mentioned from places like Miami Herald, Orlando Sentinel, we saw basically the receipts of what was prompting that coverage. And it was emails from people like FPL's CEO, Eric Salaji, to his vice presidents, which then get passed on to these consultants, which then get passed on to the writers at The Capitalist, giving editorial direction down to like graphic ideas and, hey, this should be blasted, meaning probably like, hey, put a bunch of money behind this on social media, but literally marching orders from the most senior executives at this multi-billion dollar utility to this little quote unquote news blog. And a lot of that coverage ended up being with, which should not be surprising, coverage that was very favorable to FPL uh, and coverage that was incredibly negative to anybody who criticized FPL. 
uh, and they've and they've gone after everybody, <laughs> basically anybody who was willing to criticize FPL. Uh, there's probably some little blip about them on the Capitalist, including yours truly. Um, and it was clear that this was just FPL consultants and senior executives seem to be using this as their mouthpiece. And the receipts that the investigative reporting uh, revealed was there was real money every month going towards these operations. I, I just want to highlight really quickly, exactly. like this extra added, having worked, you know, in the quote unquote mainstream media or whatever, um, for such a long time, this like additional, really sinister layer of of um, obscuring uh, intention and 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 kind of breaking down that wall between opinion and um, and reporting. In this moment we live in, it's like it's almost not forgiven, but it's like built in where you can just very easily write off by saying the capitalists. Oh, like if you if you have some awareness of them, you kind of say like, oh, they're just, you know, conservative rag or whatever. And then even just giving that um, designation to them gives them cover because it's like, no, no, it's not about them being a conservative rag or a right leaning outlet or a left leaning outlet. It's about them running specific cover for specific corporate interests and somehow the larger message of like, Oh, well, these guys are compromised. They're, they're biased. And it's like, Oh yeah, well, everybody's biased. All media is biased. And it's like, no, 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 this is particularly bad. This is worse than just ideologically being a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right, or even a lot to the left, a lot to the right. This is paycheck journalism or, uh, you know, uh, checkbook journalism, I should say. I'm sorry, Tomas, you're going to say something. Yeah, no, and actually, I, I agree with that. You know, I mean, I've I've written, you know, pieces for, for example, Occupy Democrats. It's obviously like a partisan hack website. But the thing about Occupy Democrats is that, you know, it's not, it's not actively looking to lie to people beyond its clickbait um, content, right? Uh, this was a targeted, you know, well thought out, you know, clandestine operation meant to, you know, exclusively and intentionally, you know, deceive Florida voters at the behest and with the funding of our utility monopoly. And I want to give a little bit more context on, you know, the capitalists. So this is, again, it's not just a conservative rag, right? It, it's it's a deceit, you know, intel, like sort of like intelligence operation. And the person who runs it is actually the ex-communications director for uh, U.S. Senator Rick Scott. And, you know, I actually got a, a number of emails, you know, and, and I obviously I can't disclose the source, but I re released these emails on social media, on my sub stack, you know, out to the public because there, you know, the, the people that gave me these emails had concerns about releasing them themselves because of legal exposure. And these emails, you know, which I have right now on my phone, uh, basically detail how, you know, they, they were looking to hire, you know, uh, so-called top reporters from publications like Politico, you know, to add credence, you know, credibility to their operation. They were they literally had sort of a buffet of publicity that they could sell to different economic actors. Right. For example, they had the healthcare sector. They pitched two thousand dollars per month, you know, to run stories for them at uh, the ag sector. They had HCA, which is Rick Scott's uh, former ho hospita hospital uh, company. Um, they had uh, the for-profit um, uh, uh, prison uh, uh, sector, right, as prison, one of their yeah. prospective clients. 
they had Mosaic, which is a, a fertilizer company that has been you know, closely tied to the algae bloom uh, crisis that we have in our waterways. And they even talk about how Mosaic has become a controversial actor in Tallahassee. So we have to maneuver this uh, with care. You know, they talk about how when we go after, you know, critics of these industries, we have to do it carefully and we have to re remain distant of the actual industries because they, the, the quote says, they find this art, sort of political antics icky and they don't want direct proximity and linkage to these activities. But make no mistake, they still want the activities done. And the most, you know, I think concerning part is that at one point, you know, this this guy that used to be the former communications director for Rick Scott talks about going and, and there's no link. There's no proof that Rick Scott went for this, but they were trying to go to Rick Scott, who's obviously a multi-billionaire estimated to be worth about four hundred million dollars. And they wanted to get funds with him to basically buy off all of Gannett's associated newspapers in Florida because their stock price was so low. And they talked about, you know, firing. Literally, they, yeah. I'm not being hyperbolic no, here. Verbatim. They talk about firing yeah. all, all of the reporters in these newspapers, rehiring them with their lackeys, and basically they say, quote, syndicating content throughout the state through this network of newspapers that they would buy and they say no one would know who's behind the scenes. So these, you know, these people are sophisticated. It's disturbing and they have real money behind them. And luckily, you know, the capitalist has been exposed as, you know, the pay to play rag that it is before they were able to execute something like this, which was their true intention. But it's just really, really scary to think about, you know, how much, uh, you know, earned media, they were, they would have been, you know, potentially able to control. Yeah. And that's, and that's just one, that's just one of the tactics, you know, we talk about uh, efforts to control the media or fire the media or, you know, only have it be pay to play by special interest. Some of the other reporting that we've seen. Uh, so journalist Nate Monroe up in Jacksonville, he literally had private investigators on him like there were photos of him walking the dog with his wife they had no idea they were being followed and of course all of that happened after nate monroe and to his credit he has continued to do fearless investigative reporting even though he's been surveilled literally him and his family um so it's it's clear that these consultants connected directly to fpl uh, seem to have no problem with direct intimidation of any journalist that is critical of them. I mean, that Florida Power and Light created a, an entire landing page devoted to uh, trashing the reputation of Mary Ellen Kloss at the Miami Herald. I mean, <laughs> what are they scared I wanna, I wanna, of? The fact I, I want to mention Mary Ellen yeah. again with with a, with a, with just like a caveat too, and show how sort of perverse this can work sometimes. Because Mary Ellen is good to her good at her job to the point where she actually is pretty well hated by other you know legitimate real journalists who are just bitter about losing on stories constantly to her. And when that was happening, I think about a year and a half ago is when that was at, when the volume was really cranked up on the, the, the Mary Ellen, um, Mary Ellen class 
class propaganda, anti-propaganda, uh, there were, and I'm not going to name any names here, but there were plenty of sort of like mainstream or acceptable or like non-compromised um, journalists, just regular old journalists out there and heads of some online journalism um, outlets out here in Florida who jumped right on that bandwagon of hating on Mary Ellen. And I, I think that that's particularly insidious because it's like, it's a communication strategy where you can get useful idiots to kind of do a lot of your work for you. And that I saw that happening with Mary Ellen and some things that I just knew were not true um, being passed around. And, and it's, it's, it's sinister, man, the way that that played out. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, obviously the DeSantis administration bandwagon on that and Mary Ellen class has been, you know, always a target of, you know, Christina Pushaw, and all these, you know, DeSantis acolytes and cronies. But, you know, I, I mean, Alisa, you, you've been a target of FPL. Jason Garcia, another, you know, former Orlando Sentinel reporter who's been done incredible investigative work around FPL and other, you know, corrupt corporate actors in the state. He was the target of like text and a smear campaign uh, recently. Obviously, you know, uh, Anna Skemani, there was a piece called The Dark Money Sisters targeting Anna and her sister. Uh, because they basically work for nonprofits by the capitalist who was literally taking FBL money to write that story. They, they were literally taking dark money hypocrisy. to yeah to attack them for working for like you know like an issue based nonprofit. Um, so the hypocrisy is crazy. But there's you know in terms of the surveillance, one of the emails you know from this Matrix LLC consult consultants. And, you know, Dan Newman, this Democratic Party consultant was in this, detailed how they were, uh, you know, doing like dossiers on Daniela Levin-Cava, the Miami-Dade uh, mayor, who's, you know, widely seen to be an environmentalist, how they were, you know, working uh, uh, to smear Philip Stoddard, the former South Miami mayor, who yep. had been on the thorn uh, uh, on the side of FPL because of his pro-solar uh, policies. And, you know, how they were basically high, they hired a PI, a private investigator to go after Stoddard. So, you know, they don't, this is like a, a, a you know, a, a practice that is widely used. They do it not just against journalists, but also against our elected officials. And I remember when I used, when we used to work for JJR, we used to joke all the time. We used to be like, yo, you probably have a PI, FPL is like surveilling you, watch out. And we we're kind of joking. But over time, it wasn't a joke. Like, they probably did have a PI on JJR. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, and this stuff has legs because, like, you just mentioned the um, the Philip Stoddard, uh, the way that that's a mayor who's literally in my backyard. Like, if you go one street down from me, it's South Miami. And um, he and, the, and South Miami as a municipality, they really prioritized solar for a long time, a long period of time there, landing them crossly. Uh, firmly in the crosshairs of FPL and what FPL did was, and I almost hesitate to bring this up. I'm not even going to bring it up except in broad, in broad strokes because it doesn't deserve to be repeated, but they found somebody who was willing to make some sort of allegation about Stoddard being creepy. And they turned that into a robocall. And how does that work? Is it just the thousands of people that get that robocall? No, the Miami Herald wrote a story about it. And just talking about that kind of stuff conjures it into existence. And then all of a sudden, it's a it's a controversy. It's a scandal. And it's manufactured from from, from whole cloth. And I th it seems like that's the common, um, as, as we look to it, and, and I'd really like to get into, like, kind of turn 
turn to like what happened to the um, JJR campaign and also uh, talk about a name, Ileana Garcia, and how she fits into all of this. Um, and another name, Alex Rodriguez, how he fits into all of this. Uh, but it, it's 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 a whisper campaign, right? It's like something where it's all of this stuff is whispers. All of this stuff is like you, you try to it's 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 gossamer. You try to touch it and it falls apart. You can't even really um, nail it down, which is why it's so sort of uh, you know admirable the reporting that was done on this in in, in the recent months to to out all of it. But um, Aly- Alyssa, maybe you can talk to us now about what happened, what the end result is, and how effective this strategy ended up being with respect to this enormous public utility effectively silencing somebody who um you know was proposing uh policies that were not in their interest like how how did it all play out well by and large uh fpl is has been very successful in all of all of these dirty politics uh, all of their going going ons with uh, consultants and money being shuffled through this web of LLCs. Um, at the end of the day, well, actually, before I jump into the results, I do want to just say uh, I think it's important to kind of underscore the fact that that FPL went to so much effort to distance themselves from all yeah. of this shadowy stuff. Like, there's not they were they. That's why they worked with consultants. That's why they worked through. You know this this web literally when I was trying to follow that so that somebody at FPL can say I didn't know well you okay but you knew that your VP was talking to this guy who was talking to that guy but it gives them some cover because FPL wants to be seen as like the heroic linemen that are right now restoring power that is what they want Floridians to think about they don't want them to think about the reality of what FPL executives are which are. Uh, <laughs> profit hungry executives figuring out how they can get more money out of Floridians. They don't want that image. Political operatives sending PIs after people, they don't want that. But they work through this web of you know several layers removed so that they can achieve the end result, which is securing that political supermajority. Uh, we saw the, the first time that they used uh, this kind of ghost candidate, like the third third party candidate to pull votes away so that the desired candidate won. We saw that in 2018 in a Gainesville Senate uh, election race. And then we saw in the 2020 cycle, the three Senate targets or the three Senate districts that were targeted, one of them being JJR's and the Republican won in all of those. So again, we talked about there's a four, a four seat Republican majority in the Senate. So those are four seats, 2018, 2020, four years of power. Republicans had it. And I think in a large part due to the all of the scheming from folks at FPL and their consultants, they played a huge role in that. There was literally millions of dollars worth of invoice between these entities and money being shuffled around to ensure that folks like JJR lost. And that he and he only lost by, what, 32, 32 points? 32 points. 32 I mean, votes, 32 total votes. 32 yeah. votes. Tomas, tell, tell votes. us about tell us about a name that people outside of Miami might not know, which is Frank Artiles, and then a name that literally nobody knows apart from um, baseball uh, fans, Alex Rodriguez, and why those two names are sort of key names in this in this uh, in this entire story of uh, JJR. So Frank Artiles is a former uh, Republican state senator who resigned after uh, inappropriately, obviously, using the N-word against his uh, black colleagues. Um, And, uh, you know, this guy was like a steroid. It's a real class act. Yeah, this guy was like a steroid, like rage-filled, 
you know, just like an asshole in the legislature. Nobody liked them. Um, and, you know, he resigned. He was, you know, basically off uh, the grid for a couple of years. He resigned in 2017 and he pops back up uh, in 2020. Right. And the, the reason why he pops back up is because he uh, I was going to use the word mastermind, but that would be too generous to be used in the context of Frank Artilis. But he was behind basically the one of these ghost candidate <laughs> schemes in South Florida, uh, the one targeting Jose Javier Rodriguez. And what happened is that he basically went to this individual named Alex Rodriguez, uh, comically named uh, like the, uh, you know, baseball player. And they bribed him to basically uh, run for office against JJR. And the reason for that is because he had the same last name. And after they they filed him as an NPA, you know, like Elisa alluded to, you know, these uh, Matrix LLC consultants that were hired by Florida Power and Light spent money and time propping up the candidacies of these ghost candidates, sending mailers, sending advertisements, targeting Democratic voters, making it seem like this was the actual Democrat and this was the actual progressive in the race, you know, and with the purpose of also confusing voters because these individuals, these candidates share the same uh, last name. And I also want to make this clear because this is the most ridiculous and maybe like comical part of this is that in Florida, it's not actually illegal to recruit a, an NPA candidate to run against another candidate. Like if they would have done that without any exchange of money, it, they probably would have been okay. It's unethical, yeah. but they probably would have been legally okay. But the fact that there was a bribe involved in getting this individual to run changes everything. And they were very, very messy uh, in the terms of like, in, in terms of how they went about it, in terms of hiding it. Uh, uh, Frank Artilis was heard on election night at a bar uh, after JJR uh, was announced as having lost his reelection. As being Some like real I Jam- did that. James Bond shit I'm the here. one that took out JJR, and of course, spread word really fast. Word spread really fast in political circles. Um, but yeah, this, uh, just a really reprehensible, disgusting individual, and he's been uh, he was criminally investigated and indicted and charged. So he'll probably you know see the inside of a jail cell because of this. Oh, I was just gonna say, uh, Frank Artilis is also a friend of Next Era and FPL. Uh, when he was in office. And actually, that was one of our very early clues before we even had any idea who this, you know, who the who was paying for these mailers to these random candidates, even before Election Day. Um, As soon as Frank Artiles kind of popped up, I was like, oh, wait a second. Didn't he wear a Next Era jacket (laughs) at a NASCAR event that FPL and Next Era were sponsoring? Oh, yeah, it's on his Facebook page still. Oh, and didn't wasn't he the one that had that legislation to charge Floridians for exploratory fracking in Oklahoma? Yeah, that was Artilis. He's buddies with FPL. Why is he? What's the connection? (laughs) So little tidbits, but sorry, I interrupted you. I want to ask, you know, Alisa, that like that really shows the revolving door you know, in terms of public service and, and private sector grifting, right? A lot of these people get into public service to basically, you know, increase their lobbying bona, bona fides. And as soon as they are 
either you know termed out or done with public service or they lose their reelection, they immediately go to the private sector and a lobbying firm or the industries that they shilled for and they make a nice little comfortable living, you know, doing that. The thing that I think is comical and ridiculous about Frank Cartilis is that there is so many ways of doing that sort of private sector grifting legally. But he's so right. stupid that, you know, so he's like stupid. he's like the one brute that got caught for it because he was just almost bad. everything is legal down here. And if you, and if you crazy, it's like it, you could get away with literally anything. Like people do this stuff all the time. I mean, like scheme. this ghost candidate scheme, this exact scheme, like literally open up one more checking account, like pay the 200 bucks to legal zoom to, to create one more <laughs> LLC and create a nominee corporation. And then you will be free for the rest of your life. And you can just do this stuff. Because okay, well let's not let's not give let's not give them ideas. <laughs> hey, we did. I was gonna say I was gonna, I was gonna say that this guy Alex Rodriguez is like the human version of like when a uh, when a when a person's name on Wikipedia is in red and you can't really click on it. Like there's nobody. There. He's like oh disambiguation. Yeah, disambiguation man. guy. He's yeah. like he's like yeah. no, not no. He he doesn't warrant his own entry on Wikipedia. Um, yeah, like. It, yeah, go ahead. T. No, I, I know we're reaching top of the hour, but you know it's it's been pretty grim, and we've focused a lot on the you know corrupt nature of of the system, and you know it's just been pretty negative. But I wanted to ask you, Elisa, what what is like I guess the horizon or the aspiration as to how you know the energy sector should conduct itself in Florida and its relationship should be with Floridians, right? Like what, what, what would be an ideal scenario for us Floridians in terms of our energy sector? That's, that's a great question. Uh, and I think the, the path to an ideal situation, an ideal relationship between Florida ratepayers and our utilities is going to take years of work because we are so far down this rabbit hole of every possible regulation just being controlled by the utility industry. Um, so it's going to take some work. I know you know, members of Congress are asking for Department of Justice to investigate. That's that's one thing that could happen just so that we can get to the bottom and have some actual accountability for all of this stuff. Uh, Federal Trade Commission uh, should be investigating. Uh, FERC is investigating utilities use of trade association dollars, which is another aspect of this. Uh, the Public Service Commission could actually uh, do what's in the best interest of the public, like their name implies that maybe they should be. Um, in order for that to happen, you know, the the governor is going to have to rethink how those appointments are made and that those appointments are folks that are actually going to do what is good for Floridians as opposed to it being a political favor or a favor to FPL. Uh, we also have the Office of Public Counsel. That could be doing its job. Right now, it's a former utility lobbyist, thanks to legislation passed by our Republicans, signed by uh, DeSantis. Uh, the legislature could be passing statewide emission goals. Uh, we don't have a statewide plan to mitigate emissions that are making things like storm surge so much worse. Uh, you know, we see FPL right now working overtime to try and reconnect people. But I think what I'm thinking about is how decades of climate denial and inaction is one of the things that caused storm surge to be so bad. So I think an ideal future potentially looks like 
uh, FPL and the other investor-owned utilities being held accountable as we transform into a state that is going to be truly resilient as we have affordable bills that don't just keep going up and up and up as utilities continue to get cost recovery on fossil fuel. Uh, FPL, even in their most recently filed 10-year site plan, they're still projecting over 60% use of gas in the year 2031. This does not jive with their quote-unquote real zero corporate goal. So in an ideal future, Floridians have some type of accountability and assurance that when something like real zero gets said, there's an actual pathway and there's accountability if those goals are not met. But right now, Floridians are literally just stuck paying the bill for decades of climate inaction and for dirty political tricks from FPL. Could I, could I jump in on that? Because like at the heart of everything we've been discussing is FPL deciding amongst themselves the lengths that they're going to go to to silence their critics and intimidate those who like have an alternate vision of like how we should be conducting energy policy. I just don't think it's sustainable for people to be like, you know, we were saying we don't want to give anyone any ideas like right now. Like, you know, if I were to say like, oh, I'm, I'm really depressed today because uh, Con Ed is running a online harassment campaign against me through their sock puppet accounts, those sock puppet accounts being newspapers that they bought when the price was like it's just like an insane dystopian situation it's like the relationship and the dynamic is untenable there like would it take something like the state buying out fpl and having like publicly owned energy so that like for example if something like this were to happen you could at least have like public officials like investigated or on trial because they would be misusing public power because right now you really have people like at the mercy of a private energy company Again, don't want to give anyone any ideas, but like, would it like what's next? They're going to start shutting off the power of people who criticize them and saying, "Oh, it must be your faulty equipment" or something like that. Like, right now, they're the ones deciding the lengths that they're willing to go to to intimidate people. The, the other aspect of that, yeah. Ger- Gerald and um, Alyssa, I'd love to hear what you think about that. But the other aspect of that that you bring up is like that worries me. It's also the same issue with like the insurance industry, where it's like there's this private industry where there are people making millions of dollars. They're not in danger of, in the example you gave, Jer, of like losing their like $290,000 a year director level GS14 or GS18 job. They're in danger of losing millions. And what people will do to defend their compensation when it's in, when it's got two commas in it is like, like you said, the, the imagination reels. Like you can't imagine what those kind of people will do to protect that. Sorry, Alyssa, what were you going to say? Well, you know, interesting, if anybody wants to dig into old Miami Herald articles, when, when FPL, because you mentioned, oh, are they going to shut people's power off if they disagree with them? Uh, when FPL was in the early stages of their, quote, community solar program called Solar Together, there was actually, and I believe this was reported by uh, Samantha Gross at Miami Herald, um, there was some correspondence indicating that they might prevent, <laughs> uh, I'm not sure the exact word that they use, but blocking you know, troubling customers from even participating in their Solar Together program. So that is actually not too crazy of a concept that I'm sure that it has been discussed. Um, But (laughs) yeah, I mean, it is in terms of the question of like public power, uh, you know, there's not there's not one one solution to all of this. Uh, Even when you have, you know, a city, for example, that's running its own uh, power company. Uh, there's opportunity for corruption everywhere. Uh, people have had similar suggestions like, oh, what if the Public Service Commission seats were elected? Well, 
we just spent an hour talking about how election corruption happened. So no matter what kind of solution we're looking at, there's opportunity for corruption. So my take is that the focus needs to be on transparency and accountability so that voters and Floridians can at least make informed decisions when they get to the voting booth. That's just one thing. And that advocacy can extend to the federal agencies like the Federal Trade Commission, like FERC, uh, like the Department of Justice. Law enforcement, you know, they're already investigating the criminal charges here. That can and should extend so that we can have more transparency and more accountability. Yeah. One thing I would definitely not recommend doing, having visited there a lot, is do not try to like storm the FPL building on Flagler in Miami. That is like one of the most heavily guarded buildings that I've ever seen in my entire life um, that I've ever been in. And that like in, my, my dad was a was a prison guard growing up. And that place is one of the most like uh, fortified places I've ever seen in my life. Um, our guest today was Alyssa Jean Schaefer, a policy strategy and communications consultant who does research and comms work over there at the Energy and Policy Institute. Again, you can find her on Twitter at Alyssa Jean or online at AlyssaJeanSchaefer.com. Um, Alyssa, plug time. Where, where else can people find um, some of your like latest work or, or where would you like our, our listeners to um, maybe educate themselves a little bit more on this topic? Yeah, so for energy policy wonky stuff, I would highly recommend checking out Energy Policy Institute's website, which is energyandpolicy.org. And the other aspect that we've discussed about, of course, is investigative journalism, uh, sites other than the capitalists, like these fake news sites. So this is my plug to subscribe to your local newspaper, figure out who the investigative reporters are that are actually doing real investigative reporting, uh, pay attention to the news, um, and, and support that because that work, I mean, if it weren't for investigative reporters, even like Glenna over at Channel 10 in Miami, uh, she did some amazing work on the local news side of things, breaking some of this open, actually knocking on people's doors yeah. and figuring out what was going on. So my plug is to support your local news efforts, support your investigative reporters, check out energyandpolicy.org and research who is on the ballot so you don't get confused by a weird last name and be a candidate. Yeah. And, and if and if, if you stumble upon a website that runs uh, recurrent positive stories about your energy utility, red flag, just have some questions. Yeah. Yeah. Question. Yeah, send it to me. My, my DM, my DMs are open for tips on Twitter. Absolutely. And we don't care because our check from um, from capitalists already cleared. So, you know, they can't take the money back. <laughs> That's all for this episode of Why Are We Like This? Be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts for more episodes or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at wawlt.com. Follow us on Twitter at Walt Show and on TikTok at Walt Show. You can also email us at walt at allpointswest.net. Until next time, this was Why Are We Like This? Walt, Walt, Walt. Walt Mafia Rising. <laughs> <laughs>